who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an, an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am the jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Uzziah 3, 1-5 The Lord said to me, Go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lekker of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me for many days. You're not, to, you're not to be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And I will behave the same way towards you. For the Israelites will live for many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stone, without ephod or household gods. Afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. Good morning. It's good to see you. Timmy, thanks so much for for reading for us. Let me begin by uh, opening in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through it. And we thank you that you show us, you reveal your character uh, through it. We get to know who you are and what you are like by uh, reading uh, your precious word. So, Father, we pray that today you would uh, give us a, a better understanding of who you are, and we pray, Father, that we would uh, rejoice in um, this uh, quality of yours that we, we're going to think about uh, this morning. We pray that it would lead to um, us praising you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When, when Oprah was in her late 20s, she left Christianity for spirituality. And do you know what caused her to, to leave the Christian faith? Listen to what she said when speaking about her beliefs. I don't go to church. Years ago, I went faithfully. Eight o'clock service, 12 o'clock service. I was a tither. The church I went to had a really charismatic pastor. You had to show up early just, just to get a seat. And I remember sitting there one Sunday while he was preaching about how the Lord thy God is a jealous God. I looked around and thought, why would God be jealous? And I'm looking at the people in the church, and, and I started wondering how many of these people, including myself, would be led to, to do whatever this preacher said. That's when I started exploring taking God out of the box, out of the pew, 
And eventually, I got to where I was able to see God in other people and in all things, in graciousness and kindness and generosity and the spirit of things. What triggered Oprah's move away from Christianity? A discovery that, according to the Bible, God is jealous. I wonder what you make of the fact that God is jealous. I wonder how it makes you feel when you hear God described that way. When Oprah heard it, she said, something didn't feel right in my spirit. Is that the feeling any of us have? On the one hand, it's, it's easy to relate to Oprah, isn't it? How can it be good that God be jealous? Since when has jealousy ever been a virtue? We usually think of it as a vice, don't we? If, if I were to tell Martha, a single friend of mine, that uh, I wanted to introduce her to Mark, a good guy I know, and led with, Martha, you've got to meet Mark. He's such a great guy. He's one of the most jealous men I know. Do we think Martha is going to make a beeline to meet Mark? I highly doubt it. When when someone is jealous, they're usually insecure and, and overly suspicious of others. So, for example, my, my parents knew a married couple who were shopkeepers. And every time uh, the wife spoke with a male customer who came into the store, her husband would get angry with her, assuming that they'd been flirting. So the poor woman didn't even feel free to, to smile at their customers. Jealousy can be extremely ugly, can't it? So it's no wonder if we wince uh, when we hear that God is jealous. But what does it mean that God is jealous? Is he just like the shopkeeper? In order to understand what it means, it will help us to, to think about what the Hebrew word that is translated jealous means. So we see there in Exodus 20, verse 5, that God explicitly describes himself as jealous. And in case you're wondering, this isn't the only place where God is described as jealous in the Bible. There are many other passages uh, that talk about his jealousy. So what does it mean? What does the Bible mean when it says that God is jealous? So the Hebrew word for jealous is kana, and it could equally be translated zealous. In fact, it is sometimes translated that way in other parts of the Old Testament. Now, this is really important. This is really key. In Hebrew, kana does not have the negative connotations that jealous does, that jealousy does in English. One commentator describes kana as a passionate loyalty stressing God's passionate commitment to his people, to the people of Israel. So what should we think of when we hear of God's jealousy? What should we think? We should think of his zeal, of his, of his dedication to preserve his relationship with his people. Now, of course, this, this doesn't mean that God wants to preserve the relationship because he's insecure or needy. God does not need his people, but his people do need him. 
Why were Israel able to escape slavery in Egypt? Because God rescued them. So Israel needs God, not the other way around. Now, since that is the case, why is God so passionately committed to his people? I think his commitment makes sense when, when we think of how God's relationship with his people is often described in the Bible. It's described as a marriage. So we see this, for example, in Jeremiah 31, verse 32, with God as the husband and Israel as the wife. So who is God passionately committed to? His wife. What does it mean that God is jealous? It means that he is passionately committed to his wife. That's our first point. God is passionately committed to his wife. Sorry that it says zealous there. I thought I changed it slightly uh, last minute. So God is passionately committed to his wife. Now why is God so devoted to her? Is it because she deserves it? So again, in Jeremiah 31, verse 32, God says, The Israelites broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. In other words, Israel broke her marriage vows. So shortly after receiving the Ten Commandments, Israel made a promise in Exodus 24. She said, We will do everything that the Lord has said. In other words, I, Israel, take you, Yahweh, to be my husband. I promise to be, to be true to you in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health. I will love you and honor you all the days of my life. Question. Did Israel make good on her promise? What were the first two of the Ten Commandments? So God says in Exodus 20, verse 3 on your sheets, you shall have no other gods before me. The NIV has a footnote clarifying that that could also be translated, you shall have no other gods besides me, which I think is a better translation. I I think it better fits the context, and I think it better fits the storyline of the entire Bible. So it's, it's not that God wants to be the first amongst several gods that Israel worships. He wants to be the only God that Israel, that Israel worships. Why is that? Because as God says in verse 2, he is their God, the one who brought them out of slavery in Egypt. So that's the first commandment. You shall have no other gods besides me. What's the second commandment? Verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an image. Verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Does Israel keep these commandments? In Exodus chapter 32, she spectacularly violates them by creating and worshipping a golden calf. And in so doing, she reveals herself to be an unfaithful wife. She has broken her, her wedding vows. And her unfaithfulness continues throughout the Old Testament. Now, how do we think God feels about her infidelity? Do we think he's indifferent to it? I want you to imagine a man named Jerry. 
Jerry is married to Heidi, with whom he has a 12-year-old daughter. About eight years ago, uh, Heidi asked Jerry if he'd be happy for her to have an affair with a male friend who she'd been chatting with and who'd been helping her overcome her postpartum depression. Initially, understandably, Jerry was reluctant. But after giving it some consideration, he told her he'd be okay with it, as, so, long as she, so long as she believed it would make her happy. So she went ahead and had the affair. Sometime later, Heidi meets another guy, Joe. Again, Heidi asks, uh, she asks for her husband Jerry's permission to have an affair, which again he grants. But this time, the affair turns into a, uh, a long-term relationship. And Joe will come into the house about once a week and sleep with Heidi in a separate room while her husband Jerry sleeps alone in his. Again, why is, why is Jerry allowing this to happen? He says it's because he really loves Heidi and he just wants her to be happy. Tell me, if... If Jerry were real, what would you make of him? Would you consider him to be a loving husband? What if I told you that Jerry is real? So is Heidi, and so is Joe. I didn't make that story up. I didn't make any detail of that story up. I saw the story on a BBC documentary by Louis Theroux. It's a true story. So let me ask you again. What do you make of Jerry? Do you think he loves his wife? I don't think he loves his wife. I think any man who loves his wife will be jealous for her. But jealous for her in a good way, not in a bad way. So not jealous in the insecure sense, but jealous in the sense that he wants their romance to be exclusive. And genuinely, what type of wife would not appreciate that? In fact, how would most wives feel if they discovered that their, that their husband wouldn't be bothered at all if, if they were to have an affair? Do you think they'd feel loved? I think they'd feel devastated. I think they'd be mortified. I can't think of anything that would make a wife feel more unloved. One theologian says, the exclusiveness of marriage is the essence of marriage. Now, even if we don't agree it's the essence of marriage, I think most of us would agree that it is at least essential to marriage. So desiring exclusivity in a marriage is not a lack of love. It's, it's a sign of love. Friends, how amazing it is to know that God's love is not like Jerry's love. God is passionately committed to his wife. God doesn't want to share you with anyone else. And that's not because he doesn't love you. It's precisely because he does. 
This is what it means that God is jealous. He's passionately committed to his wife. He's passionately committed to you. So what does it mean that God is jealous? It means that he's passionately committed to his wife. What else does it mean? It also means that he is passionately committed to his glory. Our second point is God is passionately committed to his glory. In Isaiah 42 verse 8, God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. I will not yield my glory to another. Why does, why does God want his relationship with Israel to be exclusive? We've already seen that it's because he loves Israel. He's passionately committed to her. And now we see a second reason. It's because he's passionately committed to his own glory. That is, he's, he's committed to his honor, to the upholding of his exceptional reputation. Folks, Every time Israel engages in idolatry, what is she doing? She's, she's robbing God of the honor that rightly belongs to him. What do I mean? When Israel worships Baal, for example, one of the Canaanite gods, she is communicating that her God is not enough. Her God is not enough for her. She's communicating that he cannot satisfy her. She's basically being like Heidi, who doesn't think that her husband Jerry is enough for her. Now, what's the problem when God's wife behaves this way? It doesn't make God look very impressive to the world, does it? It doesn't make the world think, wow, here's an amazing God who is glorious. Instead, it makes the world think, hmm, their God can't really be all that because the people keep worshipping other gods. Now, why does this all matter? You might be thinking, why does God even care about his glory? Doesn't it make him slightly selfish or narcissistic? When a human seeks to receive glory from others, it is Massively off-putting, isn't it? That's because ultimately none of us deserves glory. Every single virtue and strength that you and I have is a gift from God. So we shouldn't seek our own glory because we're good at X, Y, or Z. If we're good at sports or music or business, ultimately it's because God has been gracious to us. So we shouldn't go around seeking our own glory, pursuing our glory. However, every virtue God has, he has within himself. His virtues are not derived like ours are. So brothers and sisters, unlike us, God does have the right to seek his own glory. But not only does he have the right to seek it, it's actually for our good that he does so. When God is, is rightly honored in the lives of people, who wins? We do. Our relationship with him flourishes and we display his greatness, his glory to the world. 
When, when unbelievers see the difference that God makes in the way we live our lives, they're more likely to be drawn to him. When unbelievers see the sacrifices that Christians are willing to make to serve God, that just might pique their curiosity about him. The trouble is, how many of us, if we're honest, actually feel like we are honoring God by the way we're living our lives, by our faithfulness to him? Doesn't our relationship with God at times look a lot like Israel's? Although we want to be faithful to God, we, we often end up prioritizing other things in our lives. Do we not resonate with those famous lyrics, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We too, like Israel, have been unfaithful. Like Heidi, we've sought satisfaction in other lovers, spiritually speaking. In Isaiah chapter 3, verse 1, there in your sheets, we learn how God feels about his people's betrayal. So, the Lord said to me, that is to the prophet Hosea, go show your love to your wife again. Though she's loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Friends, God, unlike Jerry, is not happy about unfaithfulness. He doesn't pretend it's okay. He doesn't pretend it's normal. He calls it out. Yet he loves us so much that he keeps calling us back. He shows his love to us again and again. In the New Testament, the, the marriage metaphor shifts from being between God and Israel to being between Christ and the church. In Ephesians 5, what do we learn in Ephesians 5? It says, Paul writes, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Remember, Christ, uh, the church is his bride. So Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Do you ever feel unworthy of belonging to God? Friend, if, if you're trusting in Jesus this morning, he makes you worthy. On the cross, Jesus took your filth upon himself to make you clean, to make you his radiant bride. Friends, at the cross, we see just how passionately committed God is to his wife. He loves her, he loves her so much that he lays down his life for her. And at the cross we also see just how passionately committed God is to his glory. 
through his loving self-sacrifice, he makes a way for us to be holy and blameless so that we can enjoy him forever. Oprah asked, why would God be jealous? I think she asked the wrong question. A better question would have been, what does it mean that God is jealous? Had she asked that? Maybe today, instead of rejecting the God who is jealous, she would be praising him precisely because he is jealous. Brothers and sisters, when when we fully appreciate the extreme lengths that our God has gone to because of his love for us, we will want to devote our lives to living for his glory and honor. Indeed, nothing will give us greater joy than to give him glory. Instead of it feeling like a duty, it will be delight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, when we hear that you are jealous, um, it baffles us. But when we look at what this actually means in your word, we see how good it is that you are jealous. It shows that you are passionately committed to us. You really care about us. And you want us to be yours. Father, help us to see just how wonderful it is to, to see your passion for us, your love for us. And Father, we pray that we would, uh, that we would give you the, the glory that you deserve. Um, yeah, we pray that we would see and feel just how right it is to honor the one who gave up everything for us. We praise you, Father, that you are a jealous God. Amen. Thanks so much, Dan. We have, we have turned so many times, and yet our God is so passionately committed, as, uh, as Dan has just shared, so dedicated to relationship that he would even die for us. So it's only right that we should sing. You came down to find us, led us out of death. To you alone belongs the highest praise. Let's stand together and sing, Who, O Lord, could save themselves? save themselves their own soul could heal a shame was deeper than the sea your grace is deeper still you O Lord could save themselves their own soul could heal. A shame was deeper than the sea. Your grace is deeper still. 